You're listening to the Broncos and Bratwurst podcast with Kevin Gilligan and the Skipper Dude with MileHighReport.com, the one place in Denver where you will get purely factual information that is not trying to create and manufacture drama. Why can't you guys be more optimistic about this offense? Why do you have to dwell on the negative? And, and, hey, I got, an, I got a quick answer. I got a quick answer for you. Because all we really see here when we're out there every day is not good. Portland Sutton's inconsistent. Emmanuel Sanders is still hurt. What have you seen? Like, honestly, what have you seen that's positive? Five letters here. Just for everybody out there in <coughs> Bronco Country. R E L A X. We're going to be okay. Good morning, Broncos fans. Well, morning for me here in Germany. It's a very, very cool day here just outside of Munich. It feels like fall. I mean, it seriously feels like it could be the first day, actually, not even the first day. It feels like it could be week four of the NFL season. I mean, it's that cool. It's it's going to be about 50 degrees, maybe 45 degrees out there. I'm, I'm about to put on a sweater in the end of July. Pretty, pretty weird. But it does. The nice thing about it, it's got that crisp feeling, you know, that fresh air feeling that makes me, it makes me really crave football. We were just talking um, in a, in our Facebook group or whatever about our fantasy football group and when we should do the draft and when we should get going, what the pay is going to be, you know, who, who drafts first. Oh, it's beautiful, isn't it? It's just so beautiful. It's just so real. You know, it, it gets more and more real with each each step we take each day, really, of training camp. You get the, you know, I think now on Thursday we have the um, the Hall of Fame game, which I, I, mistake, I mistakenly said on Friday uh, in the, our last podcast, which we did on Saturday, I said it would be on Friday, but it's actually on Thursday. It's my fault because when I Googled it, it showed me as being on Friday, but it's because Google, they translated the time into into German time rather than U.S. time. So it'll be Friday for me, Thursday night for, for everybody else. And today we're going to talk about, obviously, what we expect from that game, what we want to see, what we should be careful of you know, in our expectations. Um, we've got two guests on today. As always, we'll have Skipper Dude who will, he, he's gonna, <laughs> Skipper Dude's got a very fiery segment today. He, he is going to, to blast some of the local media in Denver and it's, it's definitely worth a listen and, and I think he's absolutely right in all cases. And I will also have on my bro Dom, Dom Gillikin from Denver. So he actually got to watch the camp or the practice, I should say, at Mile High Stadium um, on Saturday, I believe. So he was there. Uh, he got to sit through the extreme heat, apparently, and has some of his impressions at how he thinks the Broncos look this year compared to last year. He lives directly at Dove Valley, so he got to see a lot of games last year. and Or, I'm sorry, uh, he got to see a lot of practices last year, and hopefully this year he will as well. So he'll be kind of our our reporter on the ground he can go and actually see this live because it, as we all know it's a big difference to be able to see something live rather than to get something reported back so it's hard for me obviously in germany to say yeah drew lock looks terrible when it's like you know geez 
I've seen a couple highlights and I've I've read a couple reviews. And that's that's going to be a big topic of the day is is what we as fans should take from what is published in the media um, and from especially different types of media in Denver, um, our expectations from that, and especially to not be too negative. We need to make sure that we don't get into this this loop of, of negativity and, and all is bad and woe is me. And Skipper Duty is going to talk about that, uh, especially coming up later. Um, I do want to talk about things that I would like to look for in, in Thursday's Hall of Fame game. Of course, it's, it's, it's literally the pre-preseason game, right? I mean, it's, it's not even really a preseason game. It's, it's a pre-preseason game. So it's something that we should have really zero expectations for. If they win or lose, nobody cares. I mean, nobody cares. Okay, maybe, maybe Dalton Reisner. He probably cares. But you're not going to see any starters out there. I mean, it's probably going to be, you know, Kevin Hogan for, for a quarter and then Drew Locke and then maybe Ripien. I, I think that'll be interesting. But what I most want to see are, I mean, really three things. I mean, first of all, like I said last Saturday, I would love to see the O-line out there, the starting O-line, at least for a quarter. I know it sounds crazy. I know it's a risk of injury, but these guys have got to gel. They've got to get together. They've got to figure it out. They have to work as a team to block for Joe Flacco. If they can't do that, the Broncos can go nowhere. Now, I know I was warning against negativity, but I think that's a fair um, assumption. The offensive line has to be better. They have to improve or this team, this offense is, is going to stagnate. And Joe Flacco is going to get killed and we'll probably see Joe, we'll probably see Drew Locke far sooner than we would like. So the old line has to gel. They've got the talent. They have some really talented guys. I mean, you really hear this coming out of camp. You hear it from the coaches. You hear it from the media that there are guys who really have the skill sets. I mean, James was brought in and paid a ton of money to be that right tackle. Garrett Bowles, first-round pick. I mean, these are guys who really could be something. Munchak is a great coach. So I do have faith that they can put it together, and I'm just very, very thankful that they have an entire preseason left to do it. So I would love to see them out there for a good amount of time, the starting offensive line. Well, let's see how that goes. Um, I would also love to watch Drew Locke, of course. I mean, that, and, and, and even Brett Ripien. I mean, I think the, the young, exciting quarterbacks, everyone wants to watch that. You know, that, that's what we all tune in for. If anyone's going to watch this Hall of Fame game, it's, it's for one, because we just, we desperately miss football. And two, it's because we want to see what those young quarterbacks can do. And I, I would love to see Drew Locke in a, pressured situation uh, going against another team. Yeah, sure. Again, it's not going to be first teamers. If Drew Locke goes out and passes for 200 yards and three touchdowns, you know, we're not going to say, wow, he's, he's next coming of, of, of Peyton Manning. But of course, there'll be a positive. It'll be a good thing. Now, if he goes and throws four interceptions and, and, you know, five yards, then, you know, again, we're not going to complain that he's the next um, um, Russell What's the guy from Oakland? Ah, you know, some really bad quarterback, whatever. Any Oakland quarterback, let's just say that. Any quarterback from Oakland. Um, but but we will also, you know, be a little negative on it. So it, it's, we need to make sure we, we our expectations are, are measured. Let's not get carried away with, with whatever these guys do. But it's still exciting to watch and see what they, what they can do under center. Um, and of course, I think my number one that I want to watch is Vic Fangio calling plays, how he behaves on the sideline. 
you know, is he able to call a, a smooth game in his first game ever as a head coach? That's a big deal. That's a big deal. Now, I mean, he has gotten a lot of, of praise in this camp, and rightfully so. From everything I see, he is, he's been very mature and measured, as we could probably expect him to be. He's had a, a very mature training camp. But it's a very different thing to to get a guy and, and force him to to call timeouts, to challenge plays, to to put the guys in the right positions to win. And we'll see if he can do it. We'll see. Not not everyone can. It's a really, really, really hard job. And we see why year in and year out, you know, a, a third of the coaching head coaches in football are fired. And I hope he can do it. If he can do it, then I think he is a long-term solution in Denver. I mean, he, he could be a guy here, you know, five, six, seven, eight, nine years. Now, he's he's an older guy, but he's not ancient. Jeez, you know, he's not 70 or something. So he could be here a long time. He's got to prove it. He's got to prove that he has the cojones and the, the ability to act and, and react on the sideline, to to be able to see what's going on and to, to run with it. And it's the same with his staff. I mean, Scangarello, Donatello as well. How can they do? How can they perform as coordinators? And Donatello's done it before, so that that's that's a plus, obviously. And Fangio's obviously been on the sideline plenty, but it's it's a whole different ball game, and that's something to definitely watch over. Watch watch his, you know, not body language. The dude's going to be totally quiet on the sideline. I think that that's almost guaranteed. But but watch the smoothness of the play calls coming in. Are the quarterbacks getting their plays on time? Are they having to take bad timeouts? You know, that's the kind of thing I think we should really watch for. Watch for his ability to to manage a game. And that's exciting. I think that, that's going to be exciting to watch in the preseason because if he can be this this measured force, this veteran dude, veteran coach who's who's got the respect of players, he's got a great defensive mind. Now, if he can coach in-game, we just might have something in Denver, guys. We just might have something. Because remember, like John Fox was a really good coach for what they needed him to be. John Fox came in after Josh McDaniels and totally changed the culture. He brought a, a, a respectable culture back to the locker room that Josh McDaniels totally destroyed. He was, you know, good coach off the field. The players really liked him. They respected him. But boy, oh boy, when he got on that field, he made some bad mistakes. As we all remember, there were some decisions that were just mind-blowing and very conservative, and, and it made you scratch your head being, what the heck, Foxy? You know, what are you doing, man? And so you sh- you could see that he was a guy who, who could bring certain merits as a coach, but some he was really, you know, not strong at. And I think Vance Joseph, unfortunately, had one of them. I think he was a very good player coach. That That's my impression. The guys liked him. He was good at at, you know, maybe getting a good vibe, I, I suppose, but he, he didn't have the maturity. He wasn't able to control the locker room and he was not very good on the field as a coach. Now, hopefully for him, I truly hope in the future he can fix that. He can change that. He can mature into that coach. I, I wish him the best. Obviously, I think we all do. Now we'll see with Vic Fangio. Let's see what he can do. Let's see if he can become that next baby Bill Belichick. Can he become a great defensive coach who can change the way a game is called and run on the fly 
on the fly. And that's something we should absolutely watch for. It's going to be vanilla, as we all know. Preseason's always vanilla. There's not going to be any special plays. But to an extent, we can see what changes. We can see how comfortable players are in the huddle, on the sideline. It'll be really interesting. It, it, Dom is is really he's got a really interesting take. I think um, coming up, he's got he will repeat a few of my thoughts from from Saturday, which makes me feel good. But um, he's got some really good thoughts about how he felt this camp was different. Like his practice that he attended at, at the stadium, how he feels it's different than last year, and and some positives, but also some negatives and some just plain differences. Uh, and he will come up. I think we'll send him at the end of the show because I think we're going to go to Skipper Dude next. Skipper Dude is going to uh, he's going to lambaste some of the the Denver media a bit, and I think rightfully so. And I will piggyback a bit on his thoughts about the Denver media in general and their negativity towards the 2019 Broncos. Skipper Dude up next after this very short break. Thanks, as always, for having me on, Kevin. I am the Skipper Dude, proud Broncos fan since 1984. So today, we're going to take a look at some of the media coverage surrounding the Broncos, especially locally, as we get ready for the Hall of Fame game this week and the official opening of the preseason schedule. Friends, if you're a regular listener to Broncos and Bratwurst, you know that Kevin and I typically try to keep things positive and analytical, and we kind of try to talk big picture. I don't rant often. I mean, Kevin and I... We're just about the last two public personalities to jump aboard the Fire Vance Joseph bandwagon. Not because we thought VJ was a great or even necessarily a competent coach, but because we believe in the value of coaching consistency. I think I criticized John Elway a couple weeks later um, for his process when he hired Vic Fangio, but I've absolutely loved the, uh, the hire itself. That's about as negative as I think I've ever been with these podcasts. But friends, I'm sensing a trend out there right now in the media that absolutely disgusts me, and I'm feeling the need to go on a bit of a rant. So first, a quick history. I went to college at DU in the 1980s and was involved both in the sports department there as well as the school newspaper, The Clarion. In 1985, my sophomore year, the DU hockey team won the WCHA championship and made it to the NCAA Final Four and became a big news item in Denver. So I got to rub elbows with local media celebrities like Jim Benneman and Mike Nolan and Todd Fipers and, and Irv Brown. And some of these guys were pretty decent guys. I mean, Irv Brown, may he rest in peace, he died earlier this year, was exactly the same happy, high-energy, optimistic guy in real life as he was on air. And Jim Benneman was a good guy who exuded grace in class. But by and large, full-time sports journalists are really one of your lower rungs of social society. What I learned about the sports media industry in those years, and most especially sports talk radio, is that their business, their objectives, their perspectives, and their priorities are a much, much different thing than what we see here in the blogosphere, and in particular on Mile High Report. For my part, I'm, and I'm sure those of you listening to this podcast as well, we're attracted to MHR 
because we're true fans of the Denver Broncos. We have a thirst for learning more about the team, a thirst for saturating ourselves in the football season and building a context about the team so that when big events happen in draft day, final cuts, our week one game, playoff run, you name it, we're well informed and we have a good handle on what's happening and why. And you see that passion for truth here. That passion as fans, it plays itself out with Tim Lynch and Ian Sinclair and Scotty Payne and Lori and Kevin and the fantastic staff here at MHR who are mostly just fans with a passion for the Broncos in the game and will give you in-depth analysis for free in every aspect of the Denver Broncos all the way down to guys like DeMonte Thomas and rookie edge rusher Aaron Wallace. If you're a fan like me, it's a beautiful thing to behold and I'm humbled to be a little part of it. Now, the next level down in the journalistic world, in my opinion, are the beat writers. Guys like Mike Kliss and, and Troy Ring, perhaps um, Nikki Javala. These are pretty good folks, I believe. Good fans, legitimate football folks. But let's be honest about a couple things. For them, the Broncos represent a paycheck, first and foremost. So they're going to write accordingly. And they're legitimate insiders with legitimate insider information, which is a good thing. But it's also going to color their commentary in a way that ensures that they don't lose their those insider contacts. So you always have to keep that in mind when you're reading their stuff. They'll have information that you won't get anywhere else, which is great. But don't always be an objective. But by and large, I have no beef whatsoever with the beat writers. They're a pretty good bunch. Now, the next group, the news readers. This is guys like Rod Mackey and Lionel Bienvenu, Mark Haas, Nick Griffith. They're mostly just pretty faces who know very little about sports, but they know how to read a teleprompter in a way that makes you believe that they're both well-informed and sincere and knowledgeable. I don't have much use for these guys, honestly. They're just not really, they're, they're not legitimate sports people. I suppose some of the writers might have a little talent, but whatever. Now, my frustration this week, though, is with the full-time on-air celebrities at places like 104.3 The Fan, as well as bottom-feeding um, jur- written journalists like Mark Hisla. Now, I get it. These guys are trying to make a living by capturing and holding an audience. That's what they do. And in a market the size of Denver, which really isn't very big, they don't have a large enough population of high-end MHR-type fans to draw from. So they need to appeal to the lowest common denominator of fans. They need storylines. They need controversy. They need drama. They need ratings. If they don't sustain an audience, they go out of business. So now let's look at five or six of the top storylines that tend to drive ratings up for stations like 104.3 The Fan and and bottom feeders like Mark Kisla. Number one, most obviously, is a championship run. These boost ratings like nothing else, and they're the holy grail of local sports talk shows. You'll get even even your most casual fans will start tuning in during a championship run. The next several items, though, are all about drama, mostly negative. Number two, I believe, are big contract holdouts. I'm sure if you're a local talk show in Dallas right now and can talk wall-to-wall about the Zeke Elliott holdout, you're pretty much loving life, and your ratings are probably pretty good. Easy content there. It's an easy way to fill three hours. Now, number three of course, is a quarterback controversy. A good quarterback controversy can keep your local talking heads busy for literally months. Number four is a head coach on the hot seat. 
Then number five and six are probably little things like major injuries and, and big name draft picks and free agents. So think about this for a minute. What does a station like 104.3, the fan, have to work with this year in Denver? Championship run? Absolutely not. Not now, obviously, and probably not this year. A contract holdout? Nope. A quarterback controversy? Nope. Vic Fangio did a fantastic job of squashing that a couple Fridays ago when he called out Drew Locke as being like a Major League Baseball pitcher with a great fastball who hadn't yet learned to pitch. Uh, th- that was, to me, a-, a-, a moment where Vic Fangio came out and announced to the world, we don't have a quarterback controversy. Just an excellent job on that front. A coach on the hot seat to the Broncos have? Nope, in fact, really, it's just the opposite. We're getting to know Vic Fangio and his staff. Major injuries? No, even da- Todd Davis will be ready for week one. A big-name draft pick or free agent? Not really. Uh, Noah Fant is an interesting storyline, as is Drew Locke, as is Dalton Reisner. But none are enough to fill up hours upon hours of airtime that these guys need to fill up. So, what happens when these local radio and written personalities don't have any of their favorite storylines? Especially storylines like a quarterback controversy or a head coach on the hot seat like they've had in abundance here in Denver the last few seasons. What they do is they turn into a bunch of drama queens. They take heavy breaths and they take the back of their hands and they put them up to their foreheads and they look up to the heavens and they whine. Oh my goodness, Connor McGovern is not snapping the ball to Joe Flacco consistently. Cortland Sutton doesn't look like Julio Jones 10 days into camp. Mike Munchak has such hot garbage on the offensive line that even he won't be able to turn this into a functional group. Yeah, right, despite having spent a first-round draft pick and a record-setting contract to get your tackles the last two seasons, right? Everything about this Broncos camp has been anathema to these hack sportscasters looking for drama. There's no locker room drama, no players snickering at their coordinators or line coaches like we saw the last couple years, only one half-decent brawl even among the alignment, No spectacular breakdowns in secondary coverage. The defense isn't really dominating the offense, nor is the offense really dominating the defense. So what are they going to do? They're going to try and invent drama. Because drama is what sells this time of the year when you're appealing to the low end of the fan base. So, my friends, if the Broncos lose this Thursday, or if Joe Flacco throws an interception, and let's say Drew Locke comes in and throws two, or the defense is a sieve, the run defense, which it usually is this time of the year, you're probably going to hear on 104.3 The Fan and guys like Mark Kisla and the other talking heads, they're going to be bemoaning the coming apocalypse. This team will be lucky to win three games this year. Elway never should have hired Fangio. Just dump Flacco and give the kid a chance to learn on the fly. Friends, don't listen to it. Okay? Think of yourself as Harrison Ford in the last scene of the first Indiana Jones movie when the Nazis opened the ark. Just close your eyes tight and look away. Turn off the radio. And and if you have to listen to the radio, then I want to put a little challenge in front of you. Look for little signs that these guys are trying to drum up drama where it doesn't exist. Okay, little storylines like, well, I think Joe Flacco really looks old. You know, or or perhaps um, Drew Locke looks like the second coming of John Elway. He needs his chance. 
or you know Vic Fangio isn't even into season one yet and he should already be on the hot seat he looks old whatever the storylines are they're looking to invent drama all right now from my vantage point and Kevin's as well I think everything this camp is going according to schedule Fangio knows what he's doing Donatel, Scangarello, Munchak, Kohler, and the rest of this great, great coaching staff know what they're doing. The Denver Broncos have, have a probably average to slightly below average talent stack right now, but it's improving. Two straight fantastic drafts is restocking the cupboard talent-wise, and the Broncos are probably another season or two away from having a playoff caliber talent stack. This has been a really good camp so far. Notable by its lack of drama, which sits well with sophisticated fans like us, but not so well with the drama queens. Things are going to be fine, even if we lose this Thursday to the Falcons. And if you really want to get a true, honest, objective opinion on what's really going on in Broncos country, get it right here on Mile High Report. Kevin, back to you. woo Strong stuff from the skipper, dude. I love it. I love it. Yep, and I, I really could not agree more with him. He, he's absolutely right. And I know that many of us follow every type and form of, of Denver media that is producing anything about the Broncos, and that's fine. It's totally fine. I still do, too. Heck, I was an intern at 104.3 The Fan, and I like a lot of the guys over there, believe it or not. Some of them were total uh, jerks, let's just say that, and some of them were, were really nice guys. Now... Like Skipper Dude said, the especially with radio, the problem is you do have to fill a lot of time and you find ways to do it. I mean, radio, a lot of it is totally fake. I can say that because I was in it. You know, these these callers that call into to, you know, these music shows, they're usually people interns at the radio station. Like the really good calls, they're not real calls. You know, a lot of these things, you know, the the, the Co-hosts will talk beforehand, say, hey, which side of the argument do you want? That's that's the truth. I've, I've had a radio show with a partner um, way back in the day, and and we really did that. It's like, okay, you know, what side do you want? Do you want, you want the pro side or the negative side? And, and so I get it. I understand where they're coming from because I've, I've been there too. But, but you do have to be careful for it because you do have to, they will bring you down with them. Again, that's their job. That's like Skipper Dude said. They have to somehow contrive drama and, and talking points, especially when there are none that are naturally there. Geez, the last two years, it was endless talking points. We could always just bash on Vance Joseph. And I think everyone in the media, even us at MileHighReport.com, fell into that trap because it's easy. It, it, that, that is the narrative. It's an easy narrative to follow because that's the drama. And eventually, it's just like, okay, yeah, yeah, I get it, I get it, I get it. But what else? What's next? Who else is struggling? What's going on with the team? And that's why, in general, MileHighReport.com is so, so good. I mean, look at, and, and I, I, I'm really unbiased. I, I'm kind of part of the Mile High Report team and Skipper Dude as well. But we're really more podcasters that, you know, every now and then submit one article a week. That's a drop in the ocean of what they do. They, they are just daily producing three or four or five different pieces and that's amazing. And the content they produce is just unbelievable. And I cannot recommend enough. That's where you should get all of your information and really read in detail their stuff. They, they seriously, they, these guys and, and gals, they go through in detail the what the fourth or fifth safety on the depth chart, 
and say who he is, where he's from, what he's looking for, what we should watch, etc. That's that is good content. That's content for the really smart Broncos fan. And you see it. You see in the comment section, sometimes you see boneheads, but a lot of the times you see just really, really smart analysis in, in the Mile High Report section. And, and I, I love that. And I think the offseason is a little tough because, yeah, we're kind of trying to fill time too. I mean, at least me. These other guys, they, they find some way to produce great content. I, I struggle a little more. But, you know, I, I still love the, the content. Even when the, the commenters are hating on me, usually most of them have a really good point. Not always, but they're smart fans. And I love that. I love that at our blog. And I love that we are above the rest of the Denver media in a lot of ways. I truly believe that because we are, we don't have an agenda. We're, we're not trying to, you know, drive a three hour long show. We're not trying to get clicks like by like kids. don't even get me started on kids. Now. And I know some people would, would disagree with Skipper dude about Mike Kliss. You know, he, he is uh he is the mouthpiece of the Denver Broncos. But again, like Skipper dude said, that's their job. It makes sense. I I don't even personally feel bad about that for them. Same with Kisla. I mean, I don't like Kisla on Twitter because he's a total troll and and will not actually engage in any real conversation. I've been there and done that. But you know, as as you know, people that that's fine. That's what they do. You know, I, I mean, Dmac at, at 104.3 The Fan. It's his job. It's his job, and he's good at it. You know why I know he's good at it? Because he's been doing it for a long time. He has a job. I wish I had. And you know what? If I had his job, I would probably do similar things. You got to fill three hours. You have to hit a fan base. That's fine. That's not even the negative. Again, but the negative is they will try to bring you into the drama. They will try to drag you into it and say, look at this. Look at all these problems. And you see, and like Skipper Dude said, look at, try to find the little things that show you that they're trying to contrive it. The perfect example is DMAC has been extremely positive this camp. And DMAC is never positive. If you listen to the fan, he is usually the guy who's trying to create the drama. Now, the difference now, everyone else practically at the fan and in other places too are negative. And DMAC is, is the one on the other side. He's the contrary voice. And it shows you again, that's, that's their job. They have to work off of each other. They have to build something out of nothing. And we should look at the positive side that, again, at milehighreport.com, they're just saying, hey, this is what's happening. This is the team that we have. And yeah, sure, you know, in our in our podcast, well, we have opinions too. We'll be wrong. We will be wrong too. I, I backed Vance Joseph probably longer than I should have. Now, the reasons for it, I still defend. I still defend why. Now, I get why he was fired, but but I, I still defend why I backed him longer than anyone else anywhere. But yeah, sure. We'll be wrong. Skipper Dude will be wrong too. That's okay. There's no problem being wrong. But don't don't let someone make drama that doesn't exist. This team is heading absolutely in the right direction. Absolutely. I, I have zero questions about that. They are, they are on the right path. That's a good thing. We should all be super happy about that. We should be pumped. The coach is, is mature. He's, he's got things going. He knows what he wants. He knows what he's doing. We've got a veteran quarterback who's been there, done that. He's a Super Bowl MVP. We have a young quarterback who could become something great. We have young, talented 
tight ends, receivers, running backs. The defense could still be top 10, should probably still be top 10 in the league. You got Von Miller, Bradley Chubb, Shelby Harris, Chris Harris Jr. I mean, this is a team that's got names. They've got guys. And now they've got coaches. They're headed somewhere. Is it going to be this year? Maybe not. Maybe not. They still have a lot of things they've got to fix. Probably the offensive line. A couple more, a little more talent on offense. Probably, you know, the receiving core, again, I'm not super sold on. They're a little old, you know, maybe in the secondary. But they have the pieces and they have now the coach that you can build around. As I've said several times, look at Mike Malone for the Denver Nuggets. The guy came in and he had a couple rough seasons and then he had a couple good seasons. And now he's had a great season. And now he's building a team that is an absolute championship contender, the Denver Nuggets. Now, yes, he's got a couple stars. He's got a superstar in, in Jokic. But it all started when he built a culture. He said, this is my team and this is how I'm going to run it. We're not going to be running gun. We're not just going to be this team that scores willy-nilly and doesn't defend. We're going to defend and that's how we're going to win. And they did. And it worked. It took a couple years to get there, though. Vic Fangio could be exactly that same thing. He could be the guy that said, look, this is my show. This is how I'm going to run it. And this is how we're going to win. And I think he's got it. I think he's got it. He's got that ability to do it. Will he? We don't know yet. We don't know yet. But he could. This team could be headed to great things. I fully believe that. Yes, they need some things to go right for him. They need Drew Locke to become... A good or, you know, yeah, great quarterback. They need an offensive line. Noah Fant needs to be a, a top five tight end. But these are not crazy hypotheticals. These are things that could absolutely happen. Drew Locke has a ton of talent. He could be great. He absolutely could be good. Noah Fant could be an absolute freak, I believe, this season. I think he could be top five this season. Vic Fangio could be the next coming of Bill Belichick. Now, that's extreme, I know. Belichick's probably the best coach of all time, one of the top, at least. But at least he could be in that mold. And you see what he's done already at camp. He's changed the culture. This is not a you know hyped-up, sexy camp team anymore that's pounding their chests and dancing and making wild catches and, and you know doing all these crazy highlight plays. And that... It's kind of a bummer for fans, as, as, as Dom is going to talk about here in the next segment. That's a bit of a bummer for fans, but, but there's been no drama, no fights, fewer dropped passes, fewer mistakes. That's what you need. Death by inches, right? Death by inches. That is the philosophy of Vic Fangio, and that is what's going to bring this team to the next championship. I'm sure of it. I'm sure of it. Just like Michael Malone. That culture that Fangio and his coaching staff are bringing, I, I, I feel so good about it, so confident that it is going eventually, maybe in the next two or three years, to bring this team, to bring Denver back to glory. And I cannot wait for it. I'm super pumped about it. We're going to have bumps and bruises. There's going to be negatives. We're going to talk about it. It's fine. Negatives are fine. 
we can have worries. We can say, hey, yeah, Connor McGovern not snapping, that's a problem. But don't fall into the trap that everything's bad. Don't let them create drama where there is no drama. And you know the best way to do that? Stay right here with Broncos and Broadwurst podcast, the Mile High Report podcast, and everything else that comes out of milehighreport.com. Dom Gilligan is up next with his report from Mile High Stadium in Broncos training camp. Don't be confused. He sounds exactly like me. I promise it's not me. It's my brother, Dom. All right. Up next, Dom Gilligan. Hello everyone, Dom Gillikin, Kevin Gillikin's brother, and yes, I am not Kevin Gillikin. I am his way cooler brother. Even though I might sound exactly like him sometimes, I am not him, for better or worse. I, I don't quite have his same gift of gab, but I, I guess I, I try sometimes. So Kevin reached out to me just a couple days ago and was asking if I could do a piece on the Broncos training camp, which is actually really convenient because I live really close to Dove Valley and I get to see a lot of the training camps in theory, which so last year I was able to make it to five or six, which was super cool. And this year I've only been able to make it to one. It's been super busy, but I think even with just going to this one single practice, I can give a, a decent comparison between this year and last year which there are definitely some differences that I I could tell. And uh, some of them good, some of them maybe not so good. Hard to tell with one practice. Also, it was really hot when I went. It was, goodness, it was probably 95 degrees. Sun was baking. So that might have played a little bit into it. But it kind of follows some of the narrative I've been hearing and reading of people talking about the, the training camp. So... The main thing I want to kind of highlight is the just the general feel difference. It's more mature. I think Kevin touched on that last week in his podcast about the the maturity of Fangio and his coaching staff versus um, what's his name? Goodness, I already forgot his name. Oh, uh, <laughs> ah. Oh, Vance Joseph. Goodness. Sorry. Brain fart. But the, the difference between them is pretty, pretty stark. And, and he touched on that enough that I don't think I really need to go into that very much. But you can tell the difference on the field. The fact that they don't have music playing. That was kind of cool. Because last year, I mean, you go there and it's it's pumping. They got some music going and the guys on the field are there. look like they're really having fun. And it's it's good atmosphere and a little bit childish maybe kind of hectic and they had the whole thing with their uh, fighting out for the control of who's going to be your next quarterback and all the drama that went behind that it was exciting but didn't seem particularly fruitful this year there's no music there's a much more serious tone in the practice that i think is going to be really helpful I and mean, goodness has to be better than last year but there was a very much more mature atmosphere and I, I was able to go to the the practice that they had at the Broncos stadium 
which was really cool. It was very cool. There are a lot of people there, a lot of people. And uh, the fact that they didn't have any music going and uh, everyone was in pads, it was 95 degrees. That was pretty, yeah, it, it was less enjoyable in a way, but also you could see that it was probably more profitable. Now, my second thing that I kind of wanted to go over or the one of my observations, which again, I don't have a huge sample size and it was very hot, but the, there was a difference between this year and last year in that there's not quite the same uh, energy level, maybe. You don't quite have the same amount of guys that are like uh, last year you had Tim Patrick had just a couple crazy catches like, oh, wow, that was really cool. Or Philip Lindsay, obviously, just really lighten it up. Something I, <laughs> I'm rather proud of. I'll have you all know that I won my fantasy football team season last year because of going to these Broncos practices. I picked up Philip Lindsay in the third round. I was kind of like, wait, what the heck? This guy just picked up a undrafted free agent from that's a rookie. Like, what the heck on third round? And yeah, he he pretty much single handedly won me the season. But you don't really have that this year. And I think that as as the practices go on, you might have a couple people starting to emerge to the top of being like, oh, maybe he will make the 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 final roster and you got a couple of these rookie um, rookie wide receivers that are starting to come into their own uh, Trinity. Um, goodness. I don't remember his last name number. The guy that's wearing number two out there. He's the one that I kept going back and looking at my little, little roster to see who he was. He's a, um, I got, I did a little tiny bit of research on him. I guess he's a, wide receiver that comes out of a tiny school in the middle of nowhere and just sort of happened to come on. And um, he's really fast, really explosive. I could see him being possibly a number five wide receiver, but you got, you just got a couple guys like that, that in training camp, that's, and that's one of the reasons why they have it. You kind of weed out your crap and you, you get a couple of your special guys, your Philip Lindsay's, your Tim Patrick's. And no, where was I going with that? Oh, that's right. Um, I was basically not to drag it on and on and on. There, there's a little bit of a lack of explosiveness this year, I think. And part of that could also be because your your defense, the defense looks like it's practicing really well. I I was really noticing that the the cornerbacks and safeties. Uh, especially on their seven on seven drill, they were killing it and they were sticking like glue, which could be good for the cornerback safeties, but also be kind of a bad sign for our tight ends and receivers. So it's kind of a give and take. I mean, choose what you will. Maybe look into a little bit more. If I was able to go to a couple more practices, I might be able to give more of an educated answer to that. But I thought the defense looked really solid, like really solid. And um, the offensive line looked pretty porous. Like there were a couple times that I think Flacco just had a bad day. I think uh, from what I've been reading and listening to that Flacco looks good in practice in the other practices. This practice, 
he just looked bad. He looked he he was missing stuff, missing wide open throws. Well, no, no, that was that was Locke. My bad. No, but he was he was not making throws that he should be making, and that could just be a bad day. Whatever. He's obviously he is our quarterback, but the third point that I wanted to kind of hit on, which follows this same line, is why on earth Kevin Hogan, Kevin Hogan, Hogan, whatever his name is, is still in on the second team, and he's he just looks like he's looks like crap. He's awful, and I could go out there and do what he does. I mean, he, I I watched one play on the seven on seven drills where he did not move his head. He was following the same receiver who was covered like glue and threw it right into coverage. Like uh, he, no second option, no third option. He's just <laughs> head like glue. It's like, I can do that. Like, no, that's, I, I like Kevin Hogan as a guy, but I think as, as your second string quarterback, it's not, don't do that. Put lock in. He's the, the third point. He looked good. I think he was on the the seven on seven drills, especially. He had a a string where he threw three in a row that that all all hit their mark and looked really good. He slipped one into a really tight coverage, which like oh my goodness, and that that dude's got a cannon of an arm. But he also missed a couple like wide open throws. So it's that this the kind of scary <laughs> un um unproven rookie quarterback that you might throw him into a game and he could be like John Elway and you have a really crappy first season and then oh my gosh turns into a Hall of Famer but then again he could be not that he could just suck but I think with this the little tiny bit that I saw of him I liked him he looked like he had the right stuff and whether or not that'll translate to an actual game I still think he should be practicing with the twos which I know that's a pretty common, pretty common uh, thought process out there. I'm just curious when they're going to do that. That is pretty much all that I got too, Kevin. That's that's about the the few uh, remarks I've got. A few little little pieces that I gleaned. Our main, I mean, the main differences between this season, and last season, with the coaching staff. Um, the odd unexplosiveness of the, the offense, which I think they'll gel that, especially with Flacco and the scheme and you throw in a really tight running game and hopefully get our new rookie tight end. Some, um, I know a fan, get him, get him in there a little bit. And I think they'll, they'll be fine. But right now they just, they look a little bit dead, but We'll see how that goes as we're going on. And also the defense looked good. The defense I thought was pretty, pretty sticky. Their their um tight end or the excuse me, cornerbacks and safeties, they looked they looked good. Uh when I was out there, they did not have a couple couple players that were um practicing on defense, but a couple of the big name players. But it was still a pretty good sample size, I think, to be able to say, yeah, they look pretty good. And and then my last point, which was the little quip on uh, against Kevin Hogan, I guess, and get Drew Locke onto the second 
team where he can actually do some real practice. He looks pretty good. And that's my opinion. And all you guys will probably say something different. But that's what I got to say. And that's about it. I think that's that's about it. So thanks for having me, Kevin. And I might see you guys later.